Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from a good iron battle zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams, Ball State athlete, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a former Major League Baseball pitcher. He spent 16 years in the majors with the Mets, a little time with the Royals, Blue Jays, Devil Rays, even though this is the Tampa Rays hat, <laughs> and the Cubs. He finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting. He's got two seasons in the top ten for wins, complete games, ERA, as well as five seasons in the top ten in shutouts. And he led the league in fielding percentage for pitchers three times. Major League Baseball All-Star, Steve Traxel. Steve, thank you for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all. I think uh, running out those numbers out there would have had a lot more wins, huh? <laughs> yeah, you, you had a wonderful career, man. It, it doesn't help pitching at Wrigley Field, you know, the elephant's graveyard there. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, and being a fly ball pitcher, too, made it a little more difficult. But, uh, no, it was uh, – I love my years there. It was great. I mean, yeah, that, that's where ERAs go to die, basically. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to talk to Steve after the debate about his career. Tonight's debate. We're talking Cubbies, and we're going to be doing the top five Cubs starting pitchers of the last 50 years. Because if we go past 50 years, you got all these guys in the 1900s and 1890s that were winning like 200, 300 games. So Mordecai gonna, Brown, come on. Mordecai Brown, that's right. We're, we're going to keep it fairly new. We're going the last 50 years. So if they pitched from the 70s on, they can be in our countdown tonight. And uh, – so that includes someone we're going to mention later, Fergie Jenkins. Even though he started in the 60s, he did pitch during the 70s. So we're going to start tonight with John Lester. Yeah, Lester uh, still currently playing uh, for the Cardinals. I uh, previously played for the Red Sox, A's, Cubs, and Nationals. Played for the Cubs from uh, 2015 to 2020. Uh, he won the World Series with the Cubs in 2016. Uh, made the All-Star Game twice with the Cubs. Uh, he was the NLCS MVP in that 2016 season uh, with the Cubs. In 2018, he was the NL uh, wins leader um, uh, you know, for the season. Um, he had um, 19 wins in 2016 when he finished that season. Um, he, he did throw a no-hitter uh, in 2008. Um, that wasn't with the Cubs, but that you know, is a nice stat and to have. We, we don't care then if it wasn't with the Cubs. <laughs> 
So anyways, in 2016, uh, when he had 19 wins, uh, he matched his career high. He was second uh, in ERA with 2.44. Uh, he led all major league pitchers uh, in the left on base percentage. Um, Lester was named uh, the starter of game one in the World Series that year and also started game five. And he pitched in relief in game seven, which helped them uh, win their first championship in over 100 years uh, in Chicago. Uh, he had recorded his 2000th uh, strikeout in 2017 with the Cubbies. Um, he hit his first career home run that year as well. <laughs> um, he finished 2018 uh, with 18 wins, six losses, and a 3.32 ERA. Lester is in the top 10 in the win-loss percentage for Cubs pitchers and eighth in strikeouts per nine innings. Um, you know, he only had five years there, but uh, those five years, he, he did make a, a dent um, or, or a mark, I should say. Um, he definitely helped lead them to that championship in 2016. Something the Cubbies have been waiting for for so long was that World Series championship. Steve, when we talk John Lester, we can't not mention his one weakness, and that's the pickoff move to first base. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Lester as a pitcher, of course, but his issues with, as they call it, the yips thrown to first base? The yips, yeah, or the lack of even making an attempt. Um, I mean, as a pitcher... He's he's a absolute. You know, I hate using the word gamer, but he he is definitely fits that moniker. Uh, he's definitely one of the guys you would maybe want out there in a game seven with the game on the line. And uh, you know, I think he showed it in Boston as well. Um, his comeback from cancer. He's a fighter. That's the type of guy you want on the mound. Uh, yeah, with his pickoff at first, how in the world did it take that many years? for that to get exposed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you get out of college or through, through the minor leagues uh, without everybody knowing that. So, uh, and then even on his side, if he did know that was an issue, how do you not work on it for five years in secret? <laughs> so it never even gets found out. But, uh, you know, big game pitcher, I mean, five years of Chicago, he was very, very productive. And like you said, he quit throwing to first base for a while because of it. So. Yeah, just 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 stepped off, and uh, I can't believe some of the guys, you know, just didn't just take off just to see what he could do, you know, drop down bunts, you know, did it did it affect his throws the first fielding bunts or throws the second? Um, can't believe that didn't get exposed earlier and uh, exploited. That would have been interesting. I never thought of the bunt possibility. All right, let's move on to Kyle Hendricks. Hey, Kyle Hendricks, actually still playing as well, but I and I think this pitcher is a kind of a standout compared to some of the other ones, so we'll see what you guys think. But nicknamed the professor, born 12789. Ooh, I feel old. <laughs> Out of Newport Beach, California, eight-year career so far with the Cubs and the Cubs only. 83 wins, 54 losses overall with a career ERA of 3.31. Uh, compared to the other pitchers on this list, my guy Kyle – He's got a World Series championship uh, back in 2016. He was also a 2016 MLB ERA leader. Got 1,004 strikeouts at the time of my research here. And what I kind of mentioned earlier, Cal's part of the infamous 2016 Cubs season, game six of the NLCS. Hendricks pitched seven and a third innings, facing the minimum in the clinching game to send the Cubs to their first World Series since 1945. And up winning the World Series over the Cleveland Indians, soon to be the Cleveland Guardians, with Hendricks as a starting pitcher in games three and 
seven, given their first title in 108 years. Kyle Hendricks, probably a name that, depending on how the next 100 years go for the Cubs, going to be a name that uh, a lot of the fans remember because he was part of that drought-breaking season. So that's short and to the point. You're welcome, Mike, but that's Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> so Kyle's one of the slowest pitchers in baseball, believe it or not. His curveball averages 71.4 miles per hour. And then you got you got you got to wait. We can say slow when I'm on the screen because you know we're talking about <laughs> different levels of slow here sometimes. <laughs> what do you what do you think of that curveball being that slow? And and does that make his fastball better because the curve's coming in there so slow? Absolutely does. Yeah, um, I know Rick Reed probably had the original moniker of the poor man's Greg Maddox, but I think this is a poor man's Greg Maddox 2.0. Um, you know, when it comes to pitching, this is one of the few guys. I really want watch on TV. You know, when I'm scrolling through all the games, I see he's pitching. I'm definitely clicking on that game because uh, I like watching guys that have to have that separation between their fastball and curveball and work on location. It's not all about, you know, here it is, 98 down the middle, 97 slider. I like watching guys that still have to think their way through games and, and have, have great success. If we did this show 10 years from now, who knows what Kyle's stats are going to be for the Cubs. He's only yeah. 31, I think, 31 years old. I got 89, born in 89, so yeah. I got to be with, with Kyle. I have him on my fantasy team, and he's killing me. He gets oh. negative points all the time for me this season. I can't think of anything less interesting to talk about than Kevin's fantasy team. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, let's move to Carlos Sombrano. All right, Carlos Sombrano. El Toro. Uh, held from Venezuela, six foot four, two seventy five, so quite an imposing uh, figure on the mound. Uh, this guy had quite an arsenal. Um, he had six pitches that he could use effectively: uh, a heavy sinker, a curveball, a cutter, a splitter, a slider, and a four seam fastball. Uh, on the mound, he was especially emotional. Uh, he used it to intimidate opponents. Um, and he was known for getting confrontational with teammates who, you know, he didn't believe were given 100%. Uh, Zabrano spent 11 seasons with the Cubs, uh, 2000 to 2011. Uh, he was 125 and 81 during his time in Chicago uh, with a 3.60 ERA and uh, 1,542 strikeouts. In 2003, he allowed the fewest home runs per nine innings um, in the league. And in 2006, he led the league in victories. Uh, becoming the first Venezuelan to ever achieve this. Um, and during the span of time from 2003 to 2008, Zambrano won 13 games each season. No other National League pitcher was able to do that. Uh, he was also a great hitting pitcher. Uh, he batted 238 with uh, 24 homers, uh, 78 RBIs during his career. Uh, he won the Silver Slugger Award uh, in 2006, 2008, 2009. And he represented the Cubs in the All-Star game uh, three times as well. Zambrano's finest moment was on September 14, 2008. Uh, the Cubs were set to play the Astros, but Hurricane Ike actually forced the game uh, to be moved to Miller Park in Milwaukee. Uh, Zambrano, who had just missed the previous two starts uh, with, a sh with shoulder tendonitis, um, you know, he did not really seem like a likely candidate to be making history or, or be the hero, but but he did. Uh, he threw a no-hitter 
uh, despite those less than ideal circumstances. So that's, that's El Toro, a uh, guy I think uh, has a pretty good shot of being top five tonight. So yeah, I was surprised, yeah, um, when I was actually looked at this earlier today. I didn't realize he was there 11 seasons. And uh, I mean, we were, I was teammates with him in 07, and I just never put it together that he had been there that long. So, uh, you know, by far the best hitting pitcher in the lineup uh, we're talking about tonight. Probably one of the best pitcher BPs I've ever <laughs> witnessed on a routine basis. Um, yeah, but he was a bull out there on the mound, take the ball every five days. And uh, you had to pry the ball out of his hand to get him off the mound. So, uh, Steve, let me ask you this. He was done in the majors at 31 years old. He was still pretty good pitcher. I know the Phillies gave him a shot, uh, gave him a minor league contract. He went like 3-1, and one, had a pretty decent ERA, and then they released him. So, like, just in your opinion, why is it you think some pitchers get, like, chance after chance after chance, and then mm -hmm. a guy like Carlos – and get yeah, it. Very, very surprising. Um, the only thing I could really maybe, maybe there's something medical that, uh, you know, that just never came out publicly. Um, you know, a guy with that pedigree and that kind of, you know, wanting to, wanting the ball, wanting to be out there, it, you would think he was going to get multiple chances. Um, but if there was something shoulder-wise, you know, that they just kind of looked at, it, it's like, okay, if we get this fixed, he's going to be 33 by the time he comes back. And uh, do we still take a chance on him then? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe part of it was he had had enough. It's hard to really say. I know he was pulling a Jake Taylor a few years back and down in the Mexican leagues. So, <laughs> well, well, then there, there you go. Maybe, I mean, who knows what his numbers were down there? You know, he's not still throwing 95, 96 like he was. But uh, if he's still wanting to be out there playing down there, um, somewhere along the line, someone should have maybe gave him a shot. Well, let's move on to the Red Baron, Rick Sutcliffe. <laughs> menacing six foot seven tall. That's like Randy Johnson height there. So Red Baron spent eight seasons with the Cubs from 84 to 91. He made two all-star games as a Cubby. Um, he finished second for Cy Young in 1987, and he led the National League with um, 18 wins that year. So in, in 84, this was his best year by far, 16 and one, 16 and one. That win percentage was 94 win percentage, 94% win percentage, led all baseball. So he also pitched in, um, you know, two postseason games for the Cubs. That's important. That 16-1 season was a big part of getting the Cubs to the playoffs for the first time in a very, very long time. Um, so he's got 82 wins as a Cub, ERA 3.74, you know, not too bad. Um, he did get that Cy Young during his uh, 84 season with the Cubs. Um, we go back to 87. I know I'm jumping here, but he wins the Lou Gehrig Award and the Roberto Clemente Award. Um, so a very good guy, and we know he's a very good, uh, not play-by-play, -play commentator. Uh, we've seen him on ESPN for years. Um, so during his tenure with the Cubs, though, three times top ten in complete games, shutouts, wins. Guy could field as well. Top five in putouts in 1989. Led the league in assists in 87. And as a pitcher in the National League, hitting, you know, which it's important. He was top 10 two times in sacrifice hits, helping those Cubs move the runners over and hit, th <laughs> hit three home runs. So, uh, Steve, what's your thoughts on Big Red, the Red Baron? Big Red. Big Red's got a special place in my heart. So uh, I might be a little biased at the end of this, putting him <laughs> near the top. Um my first year in A-ball, I actually wore his jersey in Winston-Salem. 
until uh, this day, I wish I would have stolen that at the end of the season, <laughs> just to just to have something to take home. And uh, he was a guy during his career that put, took Mark Grace and put him under his wing and took care of him. Mark Grace took great care of me and introduced me to Rick, and then he went and did the exact same thing. So uh, I have a, a special place for him and always will. Um, another one of those guys that isn't coming out of the game. He's going nine. And if you come out and get him too early, uh, he'll be up in the manager's office waiting <laughs> to have a discussion about why what's going on. So, uh, yeah, uh, Rick is Rick is one of the best. We have a couple guys tonight that, that we're talking about that are borderline Hall of Famers, in, in my opinion. Uh, you see mm-hmm. some of the pitchers that are getting in now. You know, their win totals right. aren't much greater than some of the guys we're talking about tonight. So it'll be interesting to see what the – the veterans committee does in the next few years but it's gonna and it's gonna change going forward because there's wins don't have the same weight as they, as they used to complete games are completely non-existent <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh so it's gonna be interesting yeah like you said what they're gonna how, the, how those numbers are gonna change in the future getting guys in so let's move on to Kerry wood i always liked Kerry wood um played 14 seasons in the mlb uh, for the Cubs, Yanks, and Indians. But he played for the Cubbies from 1998 to 2008. Um, and then a second stint in 2011-2012, he also played, I think it was three seasons in their minor league system, uh, or three years in their minor league system. Um, in his rookie season, he recorded a 20-strikeout, one-hit game shutout against the Houston Astros as a rookie. And that may be one of the greatest single-game pitching performances in MLB history. Uh, that made him the co-owner or co-holder of the MLB record for strikeouts in a single game at 20, and that earned him the nickname Kid K. Um, he was later named in 1998 Rookie of the Year uh, that year. Um, in four of his first five seasons, he recorded over 200 strikeouts. In 2003, he recorded a 266 strikeout campaign, uh, and that was a season high for him. He holds several MLB strikeout records. Um, he was named an All-Star twice. Um, he transitioned uh, to a relief pitcher in 2007 um, and revived his career as a closure. Or as a closer, he struggled with injuries though throughout his career, which I'm sure some of y'all are going to probably bring up or mention. Um, but I think his stats would have definitely been a lot better than what they already are. Uh, both of his All-Star appearances were when he was a Cub. Uh, he led the NL in strikeouts in 2003. He is the fastest to reach 1,000 strikeouts in MLB history at 134 games. And he's the fastest to reach 1,000 strikeouts in, in MLB history based on innings pitched at 853 innings. He ranks third in strikeouts per nine innings for the Cubs, third in strikeouts for the Cubs. And he ranks third best in hits allowed per nine innings at only seven hits for the Cubs. So he definitely has the stats to be in our top five tonight for the Cubs. Steve, what, what's the mindset of – a starting pitcher compared to being a closer since Kerry Wood did them both? Oh, really uh, night and day, honestly. Um, I never did really do much in the bullpen, and it was a. I tried to do it a little bit at the end of my career, and the mindset of it was the hardest part for me to kind of grasp. Uh, as a starter, you know when you're going to pitch. You have multiple days to prepare you know, physically and mentally. To, and that's the only thing you have in between is to get ready for that day. Um, come out of the bullpen, especially closer, you, you've got to be ready every single day. Um, the one benefit a closer does have, he knows he's pitching, for the most part, the ninth inning. 
so he can spin, you know, the first few five, six innings kind of gauging what's going on with the game. And, uh, yeah, Woody was one of the first guys to uh, to make that transition. Um, I think he may have done it before Smoltz did. Um, or if not, it was just shortly thereafter. And uh, they had that 20 strikeout game was, uh, you know, stuff of legends. I actually was doing the pitching chart that game. And by the sixth setting, we were just all kind of sitting there in the dugout going, uh, we're, we're witnessing potential history here. And uh, some of the most electric stuff I ever witnessed live in my entire career was that day. I remember that game. I was watching that. They were whiffing like crazy. The, those pitches were dropping and sing- it was it was outstanding. You couldn't tell his slider and curveball basically were looking looking the same, even though the you know the velocity was the same. The break was just very slightly different. It's almost impossible to tell the difference though from from the side. Let's move on to the pitcher. Gosh, we've talked about this pitcher probably more than any player or sport on this show. Greg Maddox. <laughs> yeah, it's an emotional representation for me. One of my all-time favorite pitchers, probably top five. I've represented him in prior shows. So I'll stick so so as I. much as I can with the Cubs. I've represented him probably better than you have, though. Born 4-14-66 in San Angelo, Texas. Pitched for Chicago, Atlanta, L.A., and San Diego. Greg, he's, he kind of reminds me of what Brian was saying about Zambrano. He's he's known for having a vast array of pitches, his main two, I guess, he alternated between were the two-seam fastball with an excellent circle changeup. Those, I think those are his primary pitches, but he threw a four-seamer, cutter, curveball, slider, splitter. He was a cubby from 86 to 92 and then went back again from 04 to 06. The 2014 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, over 3,000 career strikeouts, 1305 with the Cubs, 15-game winner for 17 straight seasons, for the Cubs, you know, I think in like 86 and 87, he had two you, – you wouldn't have known he was going to turn into the legacy he did. I think they were kind of mediocre starts, if not a little bit on the poor end. But uh, after that, he turned it on. And uh, he had a record of 355 wins, 227 losses, 133 and 112 for the Cubs. 316 overall ERA, 361 for the Cubs. He was a brain for 11 years, cut for 10 years. So it was kind of close. Out of his 744 games pitched, 202 for the, were for the Cubs. He's got, like, just a laundry list of awards. Eight-time All-Star. He was a World Series champ, but it was for the Braves. So, you know, it's kind of a uh-oh. But four-time NL Cy Young Award winner, uh, Gold Glove Award winner, uh, three-time MLB wins leader, four-time MLB ERA leader. Chicago obviously retired his number. Wasn't a bad batter, too. I kind of feel – I know Sutcliffe had a few home runs, and Kevin's one and only good point for the night was that Lester had a few home runs, I think, in one game. Uh, I think he had a 170, 70, maybe 171 batting average, if I remember correctly. Let him look it up. And I think he had a five or six home runs. It's not great, but nowadays that would almost be competitive in the current league, 171 average. But Greg Maddox is a shoe-in for this. Brian, I better get your vote because you love the gamers and you love the vast array of pitches. Don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> Steve, we, we did a, uh, a show with uh, Baltimore Orioles pitcher Jeff Ballard, and it was the greatest 300-game winners of the last 40 years or whatever. Okay. It, came, it came down in the finals to Nolan Ryan and Greg Maddox. So let me ask you, who would you be taking? Are we talking pitchers? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that is the ultimate, in my head, definition of a pitcher. 
um, an absolute surgeon. Um, you know, I was in the minor leagues when he was in the big leagues there in Chicago. He was the guy that we all wanted to try to emulate and be. Um, when he left to go to Atlanta, that's when I got to the big leagues. I think it was the first or second question I ever had to answer by a reporter was, what's it like to be here replacing Greg Maddox? <laughs> and I was like, thanks, no pressure. 22 <laughs> years fair. old, I've been here a week. So, um, you know, he he is definitely going to be in the top five for me. It's not even a – it's a no-brainer. Um, the thing that a lot of people forget is he didn't throw hard, but if he wanted to, he could. He, he could have thrown, you know, mid-90s when he needed to, but he just – he didn't need to because he could spot that, that sinker and circle change anywhere he wanted, you know, and he, he would tell you it was coming. Yeah, here it comes, sinker coming, outside corner. He was hoping you were going to hit it. And uh, I think there was a crazy stat. Like he went 3-0 and in his entire career on hitters like 110 times or something. Might not even been that many out of, you know, tens and tens of thousands of guys he faced. So uh, by far one of the best pitchers in the history of the game, without a doubt. Not pitching as hard, you know, and placing his pitches. Do you think that kind of contributed to his longevity? Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, I think he threw a couple complete games, like 82 pitches, 84 pitches. And so, yeah, not having to throw hard, not have to be max effort, being able to get through games with low pitch counts that allowed him to go deeper into games, which allowed him to, to, to collect more wins. Um, yeah, definitely uh, – too bad he, had, he ever left Chicago. I would have loved to have been on the been on the team with him and learned from him. Yeah. Well, let's move on to another pitcher that's been part of this show before. He was part of our Canadian Mount Rushmore baseball, Fergie Jenkins. Check that one out in the archive in the archives with uh, outfielder Rob Ducey. Hey, Fergie Ferguson Jenkins. Um, just a dominant pitcher that you may have not ever heard of. Uh, he gets overshadowed often by the other greats of the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, not only is that unjust, um, but, you know, his trailblazing is often forgotten as well. Uh, what I'm referring to is he has the career record for most victories by a black pitcher uh, with 284, and he was the first Canadian player to be inducted into uh, the Hall of Fame. Um, and he was the only one until just recently when Larry Walker was put in. Uh, so, you know, definitely, uh, you know, some first for, for uh, Fergie there. Um, Fergie was with the Cubs from 1966 to 1973. Then he had a later couple of years stint at the end of his career in the 80s. Um, you know, but, that, but th that stint from 66 to 73, that's when he was at his best. He was an all-star in 67, 71, 72. He was the wins leader in 71. Strikeout leader in 69, and the Cy Young winner in 71. Uh, Jenkins had a great fastball, and he was able to give his manager uh, tons of quality innings. Uh, in 1971 alone, he threw a complete game in 30 of 39 starts. I mean, we don't we don't see anything like that today at all. But but back then, I mean, he was an entire team over multiple years. So all but one of seven seasons during his first stint with the Cubs he had 20 or more wins uh, he led the league in games started three times complete games three times innings pitched once strikeouts once and fewest walks per nine innings twice and all of this of course in the hitter friendly Wrigley Field 
Um, you know, so Fergie was, he was just one of those legends uh, that sometimes gets forgotten. Good, good stats, Brian. The one stat you forgot is tonight he has the most losses of any pitcher for <laughs> the Cubs. <laughs> Steve, what are your thoughts on Fergie Jenkins? Uh, uh, Fergie was my pitching coach for just over a season in Chicago. Um, the one stat you didn't mention that I've always loved, over 3,000 strikeouts and 1,000 walks. Three to one. That's which good. Is, yeah. Which is amazing. Um, yeah, he can just basically dot that fastball in the low, low corner, follow it up with that power slider. One of the first, you know, guys I remember ever having a power slider back then. Um, definitely, definitely, probably what bottom end of my top five. We'll see if he makes it through in our boat tonight. Let's move on here to our final pitcher. That's going to be Rick Rushell. So I mentioned earlier Rick Sutcliffe, six foot seven. Uh, I could mention that Rick Rushell's weight is definitely up there, but uh, I, I have that same problem, so I'm going to just leave that as it is. So right-handed pitcher here, nicknamed Big Daddy. So pretty cool nickname. Um, he had a, a portly physique, we'll just say that. Um, but with the Cubs, you know, he got uh, pitched from 72 to 84. That's 12 seasons. So a nice long tenure there. He leads all pitchers we're discussing, except Fergie Jenkins in wins for the Cubs with 135. He's an all-star in 77, um, finishing third for Cy Young. And he had the lowest homers uh, per nine inning pitch. So that's a good stat. And he um, led the league in wins above replacement and war. So that's some good stats there. Um 1980, he led the league and game started. So this guy's six times top 10 in, in war for the Cubs and top 10 two times in pretty much every pitching category there is for the Cubs. So hard not to, to, to see him as, as a top five player here tonight, but he can field also, uh, you know, first and put outs two times, uh, which is a good stat. He was top five in the league seven times, assist top five, five times and eight times top five in range factor. So it was a good filter even for his size if you get around. Um, if you check out Bleed Cubby Blue, the, the website, they have him as the 26th greatest Cub of all time. Um, so, you know, that's pretty high up considering some of the guys that are above him. I find that very impressive. Um, he's second in all time in games started for the Cubs, sixth in innings and third in strikeouts with 1,367 strikeouts. So, I mean, uh, Rick Rushell, like I said, big boy. This man pitched successfully till 42 years old. That's some longevity. Steve, what, what are your thoughts on Big Daddy? Well, unfortunately, this is the one guy that I don't know a lot about. And uh, honestly, if you'd asked me before we started this, if, if he even pitched for the Cubs, <laughs> I would have said no, because I don't remember him as a Cub. And, uh, you know, that, that, I guess that's a fault of my Cubs history. But uh, – his numbers are, are just staggering. His longevity, I think, he really is what stands out. And it's success every year, no injuries, you know, continue to, to pile up starts and innings. Um, you know, he's he's going to be, based on his numbers, he, he should be in these, one of these top five. So, uh, obviously, his popularity as well, you know, being one of the top 26 in, in Cubs history for the fans, um, that's that's pretty huge. I think he was 41 years old when he was finished second in Cy Young voting when he was with the Giants there. 
That's uh, what I remember him. Yeah, because uh, yeah. you know, living out in California, it's, I'd see him, you know, playing with the against the Dodgers and Padres all the time, and he was still having great success there. So, uh, yeah, to, to to be injury free or pick through pain, one of the two, whatever he was doing for that many years, is just is truly amazing. Went out on top too. Was still pitching great till the end. Let's move into our vote tonight. Top five. So we all got to pick one different player. Brian, you're in my top left corner, so you got first pick. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh with Big Red Rick Sutcliffe. Um, I think he was just a you know dominating force there and, and a very intelligent pitcher. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna make it easy on myself. I'm taking Greg Maddox. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that that's just like the gimme there. Paul. Even though Brian was rude to me just now and didn't vote for Maddox, I'm going Zimbrano, and it's it's because I think out of the list, I love Sutcliffe too, but he's already taken. But Zimbrano had all those weapons, so intimidating, and like Steve was saying, it just seemed like he was a gamer. Like he did not ever want to leave, and he just was living to pitch. So I like Zimbrano. Kevin, I'm gonna have to go with Fergie. Okay. So, Steve, that leaves you Kerry Wood, Rick Russell, Cal Hendricks, or John Lester. Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Uh, God. Just remember, Kyle's got that only World Series win. I know. Uh, Lester's, <laughs> Lester pitching the World Series for him. I know. I'm, I'm in the toss-up between Woody, Lester, and just Russell, just those pure numbers. Um, damn. I might have to flip a coin between Rick Russell and John Lester. Then again, Lester pitched in Boston, and I'm not a Boston fan. Yeah, so he got that. <laughs> I remember the Kerry Wood pitch that you were at, and you said you were watching history there. Come well, on. But that's, that's one game. Yeah. strikeouts. Come on. Yeah, but how many did Russell have? He had a, you know, he's second in Cubs history in wins. So, uh I'm going to have to throw Big Daddy in there, even though he's the one I know the least amount coming into tonight. That was a good, solid argument, Mike, because you didn't even remember him, and you and you you talked your way into that vote. Well, and, and just, just, just one thing to fix. He's second among wins in players tonight that we're talking about. Ah, see, well, that's a big difference. No, I, I, I said that when I was, was giving my stats, because they got all them guys from the 1900s that, you know, so, Steve, if you want to rethink that choice, you can. <laughs> He's right behind since, Fergie. Since, since I'm the guest, I'm going to go. We're, okay, we're throwing six in there. We're throwing Woody in there then now, too. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's there you go. Things ever. So, top five tonight, Fergie Jenkins, Rick Sutcliffe, Greg, Magus, Greg Maddox, Carlos Zambrano, Rick Rushell, and if we're doing six, we're throwing Kerry Wood in there. Honorable so, mention. Honorable yeah. mention. We do have a, a shout out tonight to one player who just missed the list, and that was Jake Arietta. So, all right, let's move into our Q and A. And uh, well, Brian, you got two, so uh, on the list tonight, so you got first question. Okay, all right. Well, okay, your major league debut was on September nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. You went seven innings, only had two earned runs, and not a bad way to start off the career. So, take us back. What was that first game like for you? Uh, extremely emotional, extremely nervous. Um, I can still tell you exactly what the first inning was for me. Um, you know, the first four batters, um, still upset that I lost. 
even more upset that I lost from a squeeze bunt. <laughs> Alex Arias is forever <laughs> in, in the back of my head. Um, but yeah, no, just the, the culmination of so many years of hard work and dreams that, you know, every little kid and uh, just to have them come, come true. Um, only thing could have been better, you know, would have, would have been to win. Uh, got a base hit, first pitch I saw in the big leagues. So, um, I always, I always, uh, considered myself a pretty decent hitter and took a lot of pride in being able to get bunts down and all that. But, uh, yeah, just, um, truly amazing. Um, Chuck Carr, my first out, fly ball to center. Brett Barbary, ground ball to second, my second out. Uh, Conine, Homer, you know, gave up a lot of those. And then Arrestus Destrada was my uh, first strikeout in the big leagues to end my first inning in the big leagues. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just so many things happened that day. It was great. Well, I think your pitching, you were known for, I think you had a four-seam right, you did a change, you had a pretty good curveball. <laughs> My question for you is, out of those pitches, and I, if I missed one, you can correct mm -hmm. me, but out of those pitches, which was your go-to that you, you just always had confidence in? And then what, what's a pitch that you wish you would have been able to have in your arsenal that you just never right. really got to master? Um, yeah, well, I had, I had a split finger as well. So okay. that was probably – it, it kind of differentiated from day to day because I was a control guy. Um, my split, for sure, against lefties was, was my go-to pitch. Um, I always knew in the back of my head if there was a left-handed hitter I'd faced only once or twice or never that I could throw a split to them pretty much any time. And if it was their first time seeing it, I was probably most likely 85% of the time going to get a routine ground ball to second base off of them. And uh, it was just like a go-to for me. Um, righties always had trouble, gave me most trouble. I'd always be shocked seeing lineups where they would – you know, managers would just stack lefties against me. And I, I was just like, do you not see the stats that yeah. I do much better against lefties and righties? I would have put eight right-handers and <laughs> up against me if it was, you know, going against myself. So uh, pitch I would have always loved to have had. I worked on it for years, could never throw it. Would have been just a simple slider. Yeah. Couldn't do a slider. Couldn't do a cutter. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I wish I could have found somebody that could have taught it to me. But, uh, yeah, I think that would have in, in made me so much better to be able to get righties out the same way I could with lefties. Thanks a lot, Fergie. Couldn't, he couldn't get you the right? slider. Right? <laughs> in my career, I wanted to go to St. Louis. You know, I know it was the, the evil St. Louis, but um, Duncan, the pitching coach over there, was renowned for being able to teach guys, yeah. you know, sliders and cutters and extend, extend careers. And uh, just unfortunately, uh, never got an opportunity to go there. Yeah. Or work with them anywhere else. Okay. Yeah, so I want to take you to uh, 2000, May of 2000. You get in a pitching duel against uh, Pedro Martinez. You both go the full the full game. Uh, what was going through your mind in that game? And uh, you got the shutout there. Um, you guys won one nothing, only three hits, pretty decent. What was that? Uh, what was going through your mind in that game? Um, yeah, I had gone up. I got my first big league win against Pedro as well when he was in Montreal. So uh, I remember most warming up in, at Fenway. Fenway, you're right there. You're surrounded by the the fans, and they were heckling and going from the very beginning. 
Um, <laughs> but then I remember walking out of the bullpen onto the field, and I don't know if it was sarcastic or if it was just happened to be the one, you know, Tampa Bay fan that happened to be there actually wishing me good luck <laughs> as I walked out onto the field. And he, he, I remember it actually sounded pretty sincere. So I wasn't sure if he was, you know, just messing with me or not. But you knew going out there as great as Pedro was at that time of his career that it was going to be, you know, if you gave up two, it was over. And you weren't going to probably not have a chance to even, you know, come out with a no decision. But uh, I think that game was also my career high in strikeouts. So uh, it was one of those games where I think it was my, probably the first time I'd faced most of those guys for Boston. So like I said, they hadn't seen my split. Um, and at that point in my career, I was throwing locating splits to righties as well. So it uh, became a, you know, more of a strikeout pitch for me. And um, yeah, we were teammates later in New York and we actually talked about that game and he was telling me how much fun it was for him to pitch that game. And uh, I don't remember it being that much fun. It was a grind. I was more mentally exhausted after that game than I was physically. And, um, yeah, just, that was uh, probably one of the top five or six games I ever pitched in my career. Kevin and I went to a day game in Tampa Bay. There was about 25 people there. They could hear us yelling. <laughs> it was pretty rough. So I I'm going to stick on, on Tampa Bay there. So you granted free agency in 1999. Yes. What, what made you decide to go play for the Devil Rays? And the big thing down here right now is a new stadium. So right. what were your thoughts on the trop? Um, unfortunately, that was kind of – I was very few options that year. Um, there was an opportunity for me to go to New York for the Mets. Uh, Steve Phillips was very forward uh, and honest with me, saying that they were there was two pitchers that they needed to move for me to go go to New York, and I was kind of hoping that th that was going to happen. Um, I had a two-year offer from Tampa, which ended up going to, I think it was a Juan Guzman, ended up taking it. And the Mets couldn't move anybody. And so basically what ended up happening was I had no more offers. So I was kind of stuck, either not playing or taking a minor league deal somewhere. Um, I had a really bad year in Chicago that year. I think I lost – what, 18 games or something like that. So so there wasn't a lot of options. So I signed a, the one-year deal. I think it was for a million bucks. Just completely loaded in in uh, bonuses for starts and innings. And as soon as I started hitting those, which I, I knew that I would, ship me up to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Tampa. <laughs> right? And, and remember, that was the year we had, you know, we were supposed to be the hit show that year, and, you know, with Vinny Castilla and uh, Conseco and Fred McGriff and Greg Bond. And I think Vinny didn't even make it out of spring training, pulled in oblique. So that was like two and a half months. Um, Conseco got hurt. So we didn't even make it opening day without losing half the guys that we were hoping to have. And um, so we were kind of on the short end of the stick there right out of the gate. But, uh, yeah, went up to Toronto. Twelve days after I got there, the team was sold to Rogers. So that was just completely you – know, went from potential playoff run to – an entire front office and everybody else just wondering if they were going to have jobs. Uh, Dave Stewart was the assistant general manager. I think the GM got fired or pitching coach got fired. So he ended up being my pitching coach, you know, for two months as well as being the assistant GM. So just a complete cluster going on up there. And then, uh, yeah, we didn't make the playoffs and they're like, well, we're just starting from scratch. So everybody's on their own. Right. 
Well, I'm you were a new stadium though. So oh, I don't yeah, know yeah, if sorry, the new stadium yeah. will make a difference or not. Um, I do remember, you know, being in Tampa. I think the stadium is actually in Sarasota, right? So St. Pete, St. Pete, St. Pete. St. Sorry, yes. But so I know a lot of the fans were, you know, always disappointed that if you were from St. Pete, you didn't want to go see the Tampa Bay because why aren't we? Why aren't we the St. Pete Rays? And uh, you know, vice versa with Tampa Bay. And then we were the Devil Rays back then. Right. And I remember, oh, we got the name Devil in your in your name, so that you're, that's you know, bad luck. <laughs> if you're going to win, so. They're great now, though. I, they should be getting yeah. a lot more fans than they are. They are uh, 30 streets south of my front door. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> so no traffic. Yeah, you be there in, what, 12 minutes, right? They can ride a bicycle, yep. And park in the front row. Paul <laughs> still doesn't go to the games. Oh, yeah, I do. Tie a bicycle <laughs> outside of Ferg's. Oh, I like Ferg's, yeah. I've I tailgated with Paul out there once, so. <laughs> go ahead, he never bro. came back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you you were known as one of the, the slowest working pitchers on the mound. You know, had the nickname, the human rating delay. Um, were you – I just want to know the reason for – you know, behind it. Were you were you, um, you were taught to work slowly or is that something that – you know, like what was the reasoning behind it? Completely subconscious. In my head, I was going a million miles an hour. So uh, it really came to a head, I think – by my second year in New York um, with Bobby Valentine and uh, uh, Charlie Huff. And I remember in spring training, we talked, we made a conscious decision to really make sure I was working quicker. And uh, I had Charlie basically tie me. So I'd come in spring training, it was in between innings, and he'd have, he'd write down my times so we could make a conscious de decision to, to be uh, quicker. Um, I don't know exactly when it started. Obviously, it started sometime in Chicago. But um, when I was out on the mound, it felt like I was working as fast as anybody else. And uh, so I don't know why it happened. I think it just kind of evolved slowly. And by the time it was addressed, it just was ingrained as a habit. Um, yeah, so human rain delay. I know there's some other players that, that had that nickname before me. Um, actually, I have a lot of friends being here in San Diego. We, we made a beer, called it the human rain delay. So I don't know how much of you guys are into beer drinking or not. As the sports guys, probably a lot, right? So uh, there's there's a famous beer in Belgium called Cantillon. Um, took a three and a half year process to make this beer. So we came, you know, that was all part of it. And yeah, Human Rain Delay came out. We sent it to Great American Beer Festival. We made it to the final table in our category. Um, but yeah, compared to games now, though, I am really fast. <laughs> What do, you, what do you think about the idea of the, the pitch clock thing? Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm kind of a purist, I guess, when it comes to the game. Uh, shouldn't be any clocks. No guy on second base in extra innings. You know, it's just, if, you, if, if it takes 20 innings to finish the game, that's how it's supposed to be. It's the greatest game on earth, in my opinion. And, uh, some of these things that change it are, are making it worse. Baseball is so weird with superstitions, and we were talking before the show about yips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You you had a great long career, five clubs, a lot of different clubhouses. Did you did you ever find yourself getting pulled into any of the superstitions and, and in any of your clubhouses with teammates? What's some of the craziest stuff you saw? You know, some of the simple ones were guys like, you know, continuing to wear dirty socks, you know, on a hit streak. Mm -hmm. um, I did. I never played with Lenny Dykstra, but I know in Philly he had one where if he got a hit with a pair of 
batting gloves, he would keep wearing them. And then as soon as he made it out, he would tear them up and throw them away. So if he went over five, you know, <laughs> that's five pairs of batting gloves. And, and I think Franklin finally said, hey, you know, we, we can't, we can't give you 1500 pairs of batting gloves a year. <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, not cost effective for us. But, uh, you know, some of the simple ones for me were, you know, like not stepping on the line. Um, I never walked across like the, the, you know, if something was painted between the mound and the dugout, you know, whatever it would be, I never walked across that. Um, I never wanted anybody walking across my mound, uh, especially unless it was the, the opposing pitcher. Um, that was something that would probably set me off a little bit. Um, Turk Wendell, obviously. I mean, come on. It's the, the ultimate superstition or work, you know, with the brushing of the teeth, jumping the line, you know, the, the black licorice, um, you know, the, the talons are under his neck from stuff that he had killed, um, not washing his hair. God, that's gotta be I haven't thought about that name in years. Right? <laughs> not, not washing his hair for, you know, a week or two at a time. Um, he didn't even wear socks. So that was made it, you know, doubly stinky <laughs> in, in the clubhouse. So, um, you know, that's, that was the guy. We came up in the minor leagues together. So he, he did them all down there and it rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way on our team as well as others. And but if, once you embraced it, you know, just uh, another one of those guys, especially if coming when he's coming out of the bullpen, you want him coming in after you. Kevin, what was like the your least favorite batter to go up against, and why? Oh man, definitely probably gonna be a right-handed guy. Uh, Edgardo Alfonso jumps to my head quickly. Um, just like I said, didn't have that slider to get guys out like from the right-hand side. And he would just pepper that right center alley off of me. Uh, Moises Alou, definitely. Uh, I don't know what his numbers are, but I'm sure they were pretty good. Um, just uh, he wasn't a guy that struck out a lot. He had a great eye. Um, he would work counts and just and wouldn't chase. So he didn't. I didn't. He didn't chase my split. He didn't. You know, I didn't have that slider to get him out. Um, lefties. I mean, all day long. I would. I would take Barry Bonds any day. Either one of those over one of those two guys, because just didn't didn't phase me for some. I don't know if it's a you know, I'm sure it's a confidence issue as well. And I I knew once the lefty stood in there that that my you know my confidence level was go up, and if I could execute at least two, or if, definitely if I executed three pitches in a row, you know they were going to be there and out. Bonds always had all that armor on, so. <laughs> Yeah, but he still didn't want to get hit, you know, so you could still, you know, come in, make him move his feet. He didn't like it. And if I get him, you know, chase a, chase a split down or just roll, I mean, I would turn around, you know, when he was early in his career, I just, I'd, I'd have signs with Mark Grace. I go, hey, split finger coming up. So if he's going to turn on something, it's coming at you and it's going to be hard. So he would actually, you know, take a couple steps back, deepen up, boom, split, keep it on the plate. I don't care, you know, your exit velocity was coming on a ground ball to Mark Grace. He's going to catch it. Right. And Barry's not going to run as soon as he realizes it's an out to first. So I didn't have to bust my ass <laughs> to get over there. <laughs> so, yeah. As hard as he wants to Mark, he's going he's gonna to catch it. Simple flip to first. Boom, I'll take those all day long. Well, we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Um, so you were pitching for the New York Mets during 9-11. Um, what was that first game back in New York like, uh, the atmosphere wise? And was there additional pressure on you guys to win that first game back after 9 11? 
Uh, got the, the the raw emotions of that game. Um, I mean, that one game playoff I pitched in, in Wrigley was unbelievably emotional because, you know, with the passing of Harry, this just took those emotions to times 50. Um, I mean, the security, obviously everything that happened, you know, with the towers and all that and meeting families and Shea Stadium being like a, a meeting point for all the fire departments and all the equipment before getting sent down to Ground Zero. Um, just a roller coaster of emotions. I remember being unbelievably scared before the game, unbelievably sad during the introductions, unbelievably angry from like innings three, four, five, six, seven, and then elation with Mike's homer, you know, to put us over the top, just happy again. And the electricity from the crowd after that was, was, was nothing like I'd ever felt before. Um, I don't think there was really any pressure on us to win uh, other than what we were putting on ourselves already. I, you know, being the first game back after 9-11, I think everyone was kind of like, this is okay. If, if the Mets lose, even though it's the Braves, who, you know, the fans hated, um, I think everyone just understood at that point in time, it was more important to get some normalcy back. And then the fact that we actually did win it just made it that much more special. It was a beautiful thing after that game, seeing you guys all hugging with, with the Braves and, and things like that. That was just right. that was a yeah, moment. And, and we just did it. You know, I was just there uh, for the 20 year to have the Yankees there, you know, <laughs> with the mess. But they did the same thing. You know, we tried, they tried to recreate it. I think they did a great job to, you know, to, to make it as emo emotional for everybody as possible. The one thing I really loved was meeting with all the first responders this time because we did it in ten, a 10-year ten also. It's a little bit less raw um, for the first responders now. I think they're kind of – they've been able to deal with it and come out of it on the back end emotionally, which is huge for them because just uh, the, the, the blankness of everybody, you know, at, the, at that first game was just something you, it's really kind of hard to describe. There was like – you look in them in the eye, but there was like nothing there behind it and it's really hard to explain how do you try to get somebody to feel good and what there's nothing you can say other you know other than you know my heart is with you and just totally truly sorry with what you're going through and uh to now see those guys with a little bit of you know happiness and spark you know in their eyes now is was was really impressive and it was fun, great to finally see no uh hugging this time around with stanton and lindor <laughs> I missed that. I was standing out in deep center. I, could, I can't see that far. Anymore. No, how do you? You know, I can't see. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us tonight, Steve. It's a awesome. pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Make sure everybody who's watching, make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to on, on if whether it's YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Just hit that subscribe button. So thank you for watching. Have a good night.